Amen. Yes, let's give the Lord a round of applause. That's what we're here to do. Amen. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. That's what we're here to do, man. We're here to worship. We're here to lift high uh, the name of Jesus, to keep the main thing the main thing in this crazy Christmas season. How, how many of y'all are already into chaos? Raise your hand. You're already into chaos. Your you're, 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 you're parties and your get-togethers, and it's, it's stressful. It's crazy. And so my challenge to you is the same challenge that I feel in my own heart, is to not miss the main thing as we move further and further into December, as we move further and further into uh, the celebration of a, of a Savior, the celebration of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it, it is, it's, it's easy to get confused, right? And it reminds me of a story. A guy walked into a building, he said, excuse me, he said, I'd like to have a cheeseburger and a small fry. And the lady said, sir, I don't know if you realize, but you're in a library. And he said, oh, can I have a cheeseburger and a small fry? Get it? He whispered into the line. So it's, it's easy to miss some of the main points and, and to miss the whole thing, right? And so take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Luke. That wasn't that bad. I, I deserve more of a laugh than that. Eight o'clock, even in their tired state, laughed more than that. Luke chapter 1. But they're more godly because they're here early. I'm just kidding. Luke chapter 1. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're morning people. They're weird. Luke chapter 1. So I'm doing my best. Like I told you guys last week, kind of the challenge of my heart was to come into this, you know, come into the story with a fresh outlook. And, and I asked all three services last week, you know, how many of you grew up in the church? And, and hands went up all over the place. And, and so the danger is, you know, we've heard the story, right? And for some of you, it may be the first time. For some of you, this may be a story that you're not really familiar with. But for many... You know, the Christmas story is something we've heard. It's something we've seen through bad drama. We've seen it play out in our lives in the church. We know the story. And sometimes we can miss how extraordinary this is. But let me just say, I commend you this morning. You're here. Do you hear it raining outside? And you made it to the house of God. Amen? You're here this morning. That's a big deal. Like, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're here this morning. It's raining outside. You had a hard week. It's December, and you're in the house of God on a Sunday morning. Can I hear an amen? Amen? And so here we are with like-minded people to center ourselves back to what it is that we truly celebrate. And so my challenge has been to come at this story like in a fresh way, almost to kind of read the Christmas story like I've never heard it before. You know, last week I couldn't even make it past Zacharias in chapter 1. Like my, my whole intention was to get to Luke 2 and to spend a good amount of time in Luke 2. But I just can't get past Luke 1. I'm be real with you. I can't get past Luke 1. You know, the, 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 the angel Gabriel appearing to Zacharias. And we looked at that last week of, of, of how extraordinary that is. You know, 400 years of silence. If you go back and you look at the last words of Malachi, it's so cool. The last words of the Old Testament. Take your Bibles, look. You're in Luke now. Go to Malachi 4. It's the last chapter of the Old Testament. I want you to see something cool. If you go to Malachi 4, you're going to hear words. I almost just tripped and fell. You're going to hear words quoted by the prophet Malachi of the prophecy of John the Baptist. What's so cool about that is that you find the final words of the Old Testament and the first words of the New Testament. When you come to Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, in that first encounter with Gabriel and Zacharias, Gabriel quotes the words from Malachi 4, 6. It's pretty cool. It's the prophecy of John the Baptist. Well, then you come to verse 26. When you come to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, this may be familiar to you. This is the interaction between Mary and the angel Gabriel. Now, I thought initially we'd be able to just get through 
this entire thing, but I can't. I'm just, I just can't. Like, there's so much stuff here that we're going to spend the next two weeks uh, looking at the encounter of, of Mary to Gabriel and then just kind of allow the story to play out as we move to Christmas Eve. That final Sunday will be on the 23rd. Then we'll come back on Monday, and we've got three services that day, two, three, thirty, and 5, and then we'll kind of, you know, put a period there on the Christmas story. So I want to invite you to stand with me in reverence of reading God's Word. Luke chapter 1, the title of the message this morning is a God who saves. You think about it, right? The Christmas story, a fresh look, the, the extraordinary accomplished through the ordinary. Like I remember being in seminary and a professor asked us one time, what is the greatest miracle of the Bible? And there are many miracles that we can go to, right? I mean, Jesus healing the blind, that is amazing. When you think about the dynamics of the eye, Jesus healing the blind. Jesus feeding 20,000 people, right? I mean, that's an amazing miracle. But of all the miracles in the Bible, the greatest miracle of all is what we celebrate at Christmas. The greatest miracle of all is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God would come to this earth and live as a man. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but I want you to look at this through fresh eyes. Imagine a 12, 13, 14-year-old Jewish virgin girl having this encounter right here. And notice the faith that is demonstrated. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It's the birth announcement to Mary. We're going to read down to verse 38. It says this. Now in the sixth month. What is the sixth month? It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so we know that this is fulfillment to the promise that we've already seen earlier in Luke 1 of the prophecy of Elizabeth being pregnant who would bear a child, John the Baptist who would be the forerunner. Now in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, notice that phrase, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We talked about Nazareth last week, that God takes the ordinary and he does the extraordinary. Verse 27, to a virgin, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice. King James says, hail. He basically said, hello, as she comes in. And we'll break that down in just a moment. Rejoice, highly favored one, one filled with grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his what? Saying. Now we're going to notice something here. There's a difference here in her trouble. She's troubled by what he is saying. Zacharias was troubled earlier by just the appearance of the angel. She's troubled by the words that are being spoken by the angel. But when she saw him, verse 29, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She's thinking in her mind, is this judgment, right? An angel is appearing before him, um, before me. I'm a sinner. What's happening here? She's confused. She's perplexed. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name. Say it with me. Jesus, he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for who, for her who was called barren. Verse 27, allow it to sink in right now. I don't know what you walked in with. Allow this to sink in. For with God, say it with me, for with God nothing will be impossible. What's in front of you this morning? It's not a coincidence you're here. 
would you walk in with this morning that the enemy is saying this is impossible? For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then notice her response. This is critical in the purpose and the calling of God in our lives. In order for us to walk out the plan that God has for our lives. Look at what she does in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be, let it be, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, may we be captivated by this story. Lord, overwhelmed by the fact that you would pursue us. As we think about even the words of David, who are we that we would be on the mind of God? And yet, Lord, in your providence and in your sovereignty, you knew that this was the way it had to be. That before the foundations of this earth, it was predetermined in the throne room of heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that there would come a day when God himself would become a man. Lord, we can't understand that. In our humanness, Lord, that is hard for us to grasp. But Lord, when we look at our struggle, when we look at our problem, which is sin, Lord, we recognize that we bring nothing to the table. That it's only through Christ that we find forgiveness. That it's only through Christ that we find redemption. It's only through Christ that we find salvation. And so, Lord, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We celebrate you rescuing us through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that name be lifted high. We pray it, we ask it, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I mean, I apologize. I, I, start, I start preaching in my prayers sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And I forget y'all are standing, but you're cool. You get to sit for the next 45 minutes. Here we go. So, you think about this, right? I mean, Christmas is unique when you think of the different holidays, the different countries, right? Different countries have different holidays. They celebrate Independence Day and they celebrate President's Day. But when you think about Christmas, you know, it, it transcends nations. It transcends people groups. And it's the largest celebration in the world. But let's be real, how easy it is to miss the main point of it all. The main point of it all is that we serve a God who saves. The main point of Christmas is that we serve a God who saves. To be captivated by the fact that Jesus, the creator of this universe, would enter into his own universe to die for the sins of the world. To celebrate That in the fullness of time, in God's appointed time, and it came to pass that in the sovereignty of God, his son would come and step foot into this world, into our mess, into our chaos. What is Christmas? Christmas is a love story. Christmas is the greatest love story that's ever been told of love that is not dependent upon us, love that we did not earn, love that we played no role in, and yet God pursued us. In spite of us, dead in our trespasses and sins, standing before the gap between us as sinful men and women and a holy and righteous God, recognizing there's no religion, there's no ceremony, there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. And so God provided a Savior, a Son, that would live a perfect life so that He might be the perfect substitute for our sins. And to know that Jesus is not on that cross, that Jesus is risen from the grave. It's the message of Christmas. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you go back to Genesis 3, verse 15, there in the Garden of Eden is the first prophecy of Christmas. 
You know the story, right? It's the fall of man. It's when sin enters into humanity. The serpent has deceived Adam and Eve. And because of the woman, Adam gave in. I'm just kidding. But they both gave in. And and now sin has entered into the world, right? God steps in and he declares a promise. And it's the first Christmas promise. And it's Genesis 3.15. Write that down and go back and read that entire story. It says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and what? And her seed? The seed of a woman? For hundreds upon hundreds of years, Jewish theologians struggled with that verse right there. The seed of a woman? How could God accomplish salvation through the seed of a woman? How could redemption be found through the seed of a woman? Well, that's exactly what we're reading here in Luke chapter 1. Prophecy after prophecy, as we shared last week, over 300, many would go even as far as to say, 350 prophecies of the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled every single one. We see it in Genesis 3.15. If you go a little bit further in Genesis 49.10, it says this, Shiloh will come. In Hebrew, the word Shiloh means this, the one to whom it belongs. I love that. The rightful one, the rightful ruler, the true king, the true monarch, the true lion of Judah, as he is called in Revelations 5.5. It speaks of the coming Messiah. It speaks of the reigning Savior. Deuteronomy 18 speaks of a prophet that would be like no other prophet, the great prophet, the final prophet, the ultimate prophet. Isaiah says 700 years earlier in chapter 9 that there would come a time when a child would be born and a son would be given and the government of the world would be upon his shoulders. And what does he say? His name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government as king. There would be no end. And he says this, upon his shoulders, authority would rule forever. Isaiah 53, what does he say? The great prophecy of the coming Messiah. That upon his shoulders would be laid the iniquity of us all. That he would bear the sins of the world. That he would be bruised for our iniquity, chastised, what does it say, for our peace. I want you to look at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. We're going to walk through this birth announcement over these next two weeks and lead us into Luke 2 as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It says this in verse 26. Each word is so critical, the ordinary and the extraordinary. Look at what it says. Now in the sixth month, sixth month of what? This is the sixth month of pregnancy for Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We know you go back, right? You go back to the interaction between Zechariah and, 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 and Gabriel, and we know that already he has given the promise that you will bear a child. And so we, now we see the fulfillment of that promise in verse 26. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel will what? Be sent by God. Only two angels named in Scripture. What are they? Gabriel and who? Michael, right? And we know that when the Bible speaks of Michael, it's like in the reference of battle or it's in the reference of, of guarding. When the Bible speaks of Gabriel, we know that it's in the reference of, 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 of a message, that he has come to deliver a message from God. And the Luke makes sure that we understand that he was sent by God. Look at verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was what? Sent by God, ushered by God. God said, here's my message to take to my appointed person, a young Jewish teenage girl. We know that all throughout the gospel of Luke, one of his main focuses is the divine aspect of the Christmas story. What you find in Luke is you see him focusing upon the work of God, the mysteries of God all throughout the story. 
And I love what he said to Zacharias. If you go back to verse 19, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you this message. Last week, we talked a little bit about Nazareth. Look at the last part of verse 26. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, ushered by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We talked a little bit about this, 60, 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Kind of a hill little city out in the outskirts of town. Nothing significant about the city of Nazareth. But I thought, what is so interesting here? As you go through and you study kind of the context of what's happening here, 60 to 70 miles north of Jerusalem. So Nazareth was not in the seat of Jewish culture, was not in the seat of Jewish religion. I did a little bit of digging, and what I found out is this. Many even referred to that area as Galilee of the Gentiles. There was a lot of Gentiles that lived in that area. And I look at that and I think to myself, right, I mean, that's the Christmas story. I mean, what you find is almost as if God is saying this Savior will be for all people. This Savior will be not just for the Jewish nation. This Savior would be for all people. That by the blood of Jesus Christ, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your past, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you may be saved. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you may be redeemed, regardless of what nationality you are born into. There is one way to heaven, as Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the story of Christmas. I need an amen. Amen? You guys with me? We're rolling. Look at verse 27. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, here we go. Talk about a divine appointment to a virgin. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So let's break down this verse a little bit, right? Gabriel comes down from the presence of God in the fullness of time to the region of Galilee, to a little town of Nazareth, to a virgin teenage Jewish girl. Every time you find that word in the original language in the New Testament, it is only used to describe a virgin. It is never used in any other context. An individual who has had no sexual relations. And Luke is clear to identify how critical this is as a foundation, as a pillar of our faith. Listen, if Christ was born of a human seed, he was born into the seed of sin. Therefore, he could not be the righteous sacrifice that God demands. And so as we look at the gospel story, each element is critical. But put yourself in her shoes. I mean, according to Roman law, right, the minimum age for girls to be engaged in marriage was 12. 12. There was a year of engagement, that period there, where, where, where she would still be faithful and he would be faithful. There's no sexual relations. But really, we know that a, a betrothal, I think is the right way to say that, it's a legal binding document is what it is. Between two families, it's the parents that decide it. And many times, it's decided even within the, the, the community, it was a legal document that parents agreed that their children were married and it would cure soon after puberty. Again, no sexual relationship, no living together. During that year, she would prove her faithfulness. During that year, she would prove her purity. During that year, the young man would prepare a place for his bride, usually in addition to his father's house. And then at the end of that year, we read in Scripture, right, that there is a wedding festival, seven-day feast, 
If you go to Luke, or John chapter 2, what is the first miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ? That he did what? He went to the wedding and he turned water into into wine. And so we know kind of how this is supposed to play out for Mary. Now, all of a sudden, her plans are changed. Have you ever been there? You're living your life. You're doing your things. Things are going great. And then all of a sudden, the Lord shows up and says, hey, different plan. If you've ever been there, say amen. Amen? If you didn't say amen, you just lied. We've all been there before. Well, hey, my life's good. My life's okay. It's, it's kind of fitting into the window that I think it should to the image that I think it should. And then all of a sudden, the Lord throws something in front of you that you have no control over. And it stops you in your steps. What do you do with that? I mean, let's not pass over this story. Here is a young girl just trying to live her life. Just trying to be a wife and a a mom, God willing, just trying to do her thing for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up. An angel shows up and says, hey, you have been chosen that before the foundations of this earth, the God of this universe put his eyes on you. You're a highly favored one, a highly graced one. But put yourself in her shoes. She recognizes what this means. Not only is she getting ready to walk a path that she can't even understand, she recognizes from a public aspect. I mean, she's going to be looked upon as an adulteress. Pregnant, but not Joseph's child? And the Bible says this, Joseph of the house of David, the end of verse 27, making sure prophecy fulfilled of the descendant of David. He was in the royal line. We know Matthew opens up with the genealogy in Matthew 1, 1. But you think about Joseph. Just think about Joseph now for a second. A humble Galilean carpenter in an obscure and insignificant town called Nazareth with royal bloodline of the line of David. I love Joseph. I'm a big fan of Joseph. Joseph, I think, gets a bad rap. You know what I'm saying? Like growing up, all the plays, Joseph is kind of just off to the side. He don't speak. He don't say one word through the whole play. It's like, okay, I played Joseph a lot because I couldn't sing and I couldn't act, so they would just put me in sandals and a beard. But when we would do the living nativity, Joseph was the spot that you wanted to be in. I grew up at Kimsel Baptist Church, and we would have the living nativity where the cars would come by on Prince's Anne. They've changed all that now. And so my dad's church now sits like four roads back. But back then, he sat on Prince's Anne Road. And it was a big deal. You have 45 minutes, and your team would rotate every 45 minutes. And Joseph was the spot. Why? Because you got to sit on the Bella Hay right there in the front. And usually there was a cute girl playing Mary. So it's not a bad gig to be Joseph. You don't want to be the shepherd because you got to stand the whole time. You don't want to be the wise man because you're theologically incorrect. They weren't even at the manger. And so you don't want to be any of those things. You don't want to be the angel up on that, 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 that sketchy little stable that our carpenter guys built. You don't want to be that angel. But you want to be Joseph. I'll tell you that. I remember one night we had no females in our group. Is this live stream? This is live stream. Brandy, where you at? Don't share this with my dad. We had no females in our group. So one of our guys had to play Mary. Can I just tell you that? One of our guys had. So, so they put on a wig and they put on a dress and they got in a bell of hay and no one knew that it was a dude playing Mary. And it may have been the preacher's son, okay? It may have been. <laughs> Dressed in drag at the living nativity. I was. But with pure motives. Look at what it says here. It says the virgin's name was Mary, Hebrew Miriam. I love this. It means exalted one, as her parents named her. Exalted one. And that's what the angel says. 
But notice something interesting here. The Bible doesn't say anything noteworthy about Mary. It doesn't say anything about affirming her as a righteous believer. You don't find that. I mean, even Zacharias and Elizabeth got some affirmation. You go back to Luke 1 verse 6. It says, they were righteous in the sight of God, walking blameless in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But when you come to Mary, nothing is said about her. We know nothing about her. Mary also from the line of David, as we know in the genealogy of Luke chapter 3. Don't miss the extraordinary in the ordinary. There's a young girl just trying to live her life. And then the angel shows up. Look what it says here in verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice. Now, this is important. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And having come in or coming in, what was she doing? We don't know. Probably just going through her daily routines, domestic duties, I would imagine. And then all of a sudden, her day changes. Have you ever been there? Your day's just going the way that you've planned it. And then all of a sudden, your day changes. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. And in my translation, the New King James, translation, it says rejoice. How many of you just have the King James translation? Raise your hand. Any King James translations? Where my suit and ties? Come on now, raise your hand. There we go. I see you. What does it say there in the King James version? It says what? Hail, right? Hello. From the other side. No, that's Adele. She, he says hello. Is that weird that my mind does that? Like I just, I heard the entire Adele song just play... This is important. Look at what Heath, this is important. Look at what it says here. Notice the simplicity of this. No fanfare, no glamour. He says, hello, hail, hello, highly favored one, highly graced one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Hail, favored one. You found favor with God. You've been given grace by God. This is where our Catholic brothers and sisters take the statement, hail Mary, full of grace. But what you have to understand here with this passage is the angel is not saying, Mary, you are the dispenser of grace. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, Mary, you are the recipient of grace. And that's very important to understand here. We don't go to Mary to find grace. We go to Jesus to find grace. We don't go to Mary to get to God. We go through Jesus to get to God. What you find in this passage of Scripture, and especially in her song of praise, is that Mary was in need of a Savior just as much as you and I. The Bible says nothing about her being divine or nothing about her being perfect. And when it says here, grace has been given to you, highly favored one, you are blessed among women. What is he saying? He's not saying you're the giver of God's grace. He's saying you're the receiver of God's grace. Mary does not hear our prayers. Only God hears our prayers. We have one mediator, one mediator. It's not religion, it's not a pastor, and it's not a priest. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 2. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Verse 5. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Can I get an amen? I don't care what religion you go, what what follow, I don't care what church you go to, the question that has to be asked, what do you believe about Jesus? Because my Bible says he's not one of the ways. My Bible says he's the only way. 
And that I have one mediator between me, a a sinful man and a holy God. That I have a Savior who bridged that gap. What do I celebrate at Christmas? I celebrate at Christmas the joy, the peace, the access that I have to the throne of God. Not only in the here and now, but for what is to come. In Christmas, I celebrate the mediator, the one who came to this earth, lived the life that I can't live, died the death that I can't die, and rose again. Look at verse 28, the end. Hello, highly favored one, highly graced one. What does he say? The Lord, I love this, the Lord is with you. It's almost as if the angel was saying, girl, I know what you're getting ready to go. Like, I hear that play on my head, I'm sorry. Girl, I know what you're getting ready to go through. The Lord is with you. Like, that's how I hear him say it. I don't know if he talked like that. Because the angel Gabriel knew what this young girl was going to encounter. Gabriel knew the ridicule that was going to come upon this young girl, the shame in her community that was going to come upon this young girl. Here it is, the crisis of faith for all of us, the crisis of faith. We're living, we're moving, God stops us in our tracks. It's a crisis of faith. Now all of a sudden we can't figure it out. Now all of a sudden it's bigger than we are. Now all of a sudden we can't control what's happening around us. The question is this, will we respond like Mary? Will we respond like Joseph and say, I submit, I surrender. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know you're doing it. And so I lay myself down as a living sacrifice to walk according to your will. It's a crisis of faith. What's your crisis of faith this morning? What is it this morning that the enemy is opposing? Maybe you're here and you've never called upon a Savior. The enemy is opposing that, opposing that, opposing that. And so maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. You know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but Christmas is hard. You despise Christmas because there's pain involved with Christmas. Maybe you're here and you know the Lord, but you are just struggling. You're struggling in your own personal life. And you're standing at a crisis of faith. You're here. That's a big deal. You're here. What steps is he calling us to take that are outside of our comfort zone? And I see us in this story. And I love what he says. He says, the Lord is with you. It's like he's empowering Mary. The Lord is with you. It reminds me of the statement given to Gideon in Judges 6, 12. You'll find this phrase. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said these words. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. What he's basically saying is that the God has given you all that you need to walk this path. As a warrior, as a warrior... Run the race that has been set before you. Look at what happens here in verse 29. i got to hurry. The Bible says Mary is what? Perplexed. It says, but when she saw him, she was troubled. Your translation may say confused, perplexed, troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Again, you have to understand the difference here of what happened with Zacharias. You go back to verse 12 in the appearing of Gabriel. We know that there was fear involved. But fear involved specifically to his appearance. Now we see fear involved, confusion involved, not so much to the appearance of the angel, but to the words of the angel. Because she understands how unworthy she is. And as the angel is saying these words, blessed are you, highly favored you, the Lord is with you, she's confused by that. How can that be a sinful human 
being. Look at the next part of verse 29. She considered what manner of greeting this was. Nothing could have prepared her for what she was getting ready to be told. Verse 30, then the angel said to her, every angel should just be wearing that sign around their neck, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We see that again, right? The angel declared to Zacharias, do not be afraid. The angel declared to the shepherds in the field, do not be afraid. He says, there is nothing to fear here, Mary. This isn't judgment. The angel affirms, for you have found favor with God. The basic translation is God has graced you. Doesn't say anything about anything that Mary did to deserve it. It's not about Mary's worthiness. It's about God's wisdom. It's not about Mary's merit. It's about God's mercy. It's not about her goodness. It's about God's grace. There was nothing special according to God's word, about this young girl. Apart from the fact that God had chosen her. You go to her song a little bit further in the chapter. If you go to verse 46, you'll find these words. My soul magnifies the Lord, the words of Mary. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Verse 48, for he has regarded what? The lowly state of his maidservant. Such humility that she's declaring that God has regarded a slave like me. The ordinary for the extraordinary. Let me tell you something. Nothing matters unless we take those things and hand them off. You find it every single time, right? I mean, every story, not just a Christmas story, every story of, of Scripture, of, 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 of the text, you find these crises of faith where an individual comes to a place and God says, okay, do you trust me to take the next step? Do you trust me to walk through the door? Yeah, the next ten doors are closed. We're not talking about the next 10 doors. We're talking about the first door. Do you trust me to take this first step? And as you trust me to take this first step, do you trust me to open the doors in the timing that needs to be open? That's hard. It's the ordinary to be used for the extraordinary, though. To say, Lord, here's my mess, here's my stuff, but in the hands of a Savior, man, God takes the broken pieces of our lives, He even takes the mistakes of our lives, and He creates something new for His glory, for His honor, and for our good. That's what the Bible teaches. But it's what we do with it. So as we come to this Christmas story, my challenge to you is this. Do not miss the grace of this story. That God came to us... (laughs) In spite of us, that he came and lived as a helpless baby, God, for us. We're going to look at these words next week because there's so much here. But let me just read for you verse 31 down to 33. What you find in the titles of Jesus by Gabriel here is you find the entire work of Christ. This is your homework this week. Go through these three verses, 31, 32, and 33, and break down... The work of Christ, the beginning, the middle, the end. He says this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name. Say it with me, shall call his name. Say it with me, shall call his name. We lift high the name of what? Say it with me. And he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, it's the name of Jesus this morning. That, Lord, we're lifting high. Because, Lord, as we reflect upon the Christmas story, Lord, we pray that you would allow us to see it with fresh eyes, to be captivated by what you have done for us. That in your perfect timing, 
and in your perfect plan, you came to us, lived among us, walked with us, died for us. So, Lord, as we enter into the traditions and the ceremonies and the parties and all the stuff that comes with it, may our minds be quick to go to Jesus. That you are a God who saves and that your word has declared for those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, you brought us here. It's not a mistake. You brought us here. Each and every person in this place, you brought us here. Lord, I wonder if there's one here today that does not have that assurance of eternal life. Because your word tells us we can. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It means we're forgiven. doesn't mean we will never sin, but it changes our direction. Rather than running to, we run from by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, right now, I pray if there's one here who's never called upon the name of Jesus. Lord, even in the silence of this moment right here, they would recognize their need for a Savior, for forgiveness of sin. And by faith, take that step. At a crisis of faith, take that step. Say, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. And I give my life to you. I call upon the name of Jesus to save, to live in me, to be my king, be my Lord. Lord, for believers in this place, forgive us when we allow other things to take the place where we belong. How quick and how easy that is, especially this time of year. So, Lord, have your will and your way in our hearts and our lives. Lord, do the work that you desire to do. And, Lord, when we come to that place, when we come to that place, Lord, may we step. Lord, I know there's many here. That's the position they're in. They're waiting on you. Lord, give them courage. Give them boldness. To trust you. Crisis of faith. We give you praise for what you've done. I'm going to invite you to stand right where you are. We've got our spiritual response team down here. They're so faithful. We just want to pray with you, talk with you. Again, don't leave this place, man. If God's doing a work in your life, don't, don't allow the enemy to downplay that. But as you go through the chaos of the second week of December, may your hearts and your minds be filled with the true Christmas story. May your hearts and minds be filled that we serve a God who saves that we serve a God who is faithful to fulfill his promises. Can I get an amen? Amen? And there's promises we're holding on to, promises all throughout this room that you're holding on to. We believe in a God who fulfills his promises. Amen? We believe in a God who fulfills his promises. Amen? And we trust in that as we sing these words.